please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. As you know, we are continuing in the Gospel of Luke, a series we've been in for about the last year and will still be in for a few more months. And we've arrived at chapter 12, and today we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 12. So let me read those to you. And this is uh, the words of the Lord Jesus. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to examine your word and to not only examine your, your word as in scripture, but your literal words of encouragement and admonition to your disciples, Lord. And I just pray that... Um, yeah, as we hear your words this evening, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, uh, comfort us, Lord, and help us to have a greater boldness to stand before men uh, with the truth of your gospel, Lord. I just pray that if we uh, have any fears in our hearts, uh, you would remove those, except for the fear and the reverence of you. And I just pray that uh, your words that we're going to be looking at this evening would just um, propel us to a greater level of faithfulness and boldness in our declaration of who you are to a lost and desperate world, even a world that doesn't even realize how desperate it is for you, Lord. But, but we know that all of the things that they are longing for, uh, pining after, they're really all to be located and the true satisfaction that is in you. So I just pray that you help us to, to have that mindset and that renewed conviction as we examine your words. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, my name is Raymond, and I get the privilege of preaching here periodically, and I think most of you know me from either leading community groups with uh, David or from the uh, missions updates that I give here monthly. And uh, just want to thank Leo again for the blessing and the privilege of being able to declare God's word to God's people, who I love so much. And I uh, just hope that you're edified by today's message. And thankfully, as long as, I pretty, as long as I stick pretty closely to the text, it's pretty hard to mess it up because it's Jesus speaking. So I trust that you will be edified. Um, but last week, Leo taught us about the Pharisees who represented the most influential denomination within first century Judaism. And they were trusted as interpreters of scripture and exerted a tremendous amount of influence through uh, peer pressure in prescribing uh, behaviors that uh, they said were necessary to adhere to in order to be faithful to the law of God. Um, but as Leo mentioned, this peer pressure was hypocritical in nature, uh, because the Pharisees actually did not live according to the expectations that they imposed upon everyone else. And this reality is really distilled by Luke 11:46, 46, 
And here Jesus is speaking specifically to the experts uh, in the law among the Pharisees. And uh, he says to the Pharisees and the experts in the law, quote, you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burden with one of your fingers. So um, apparently it was not a great big secret that the Pharisees were hypocrites. Um, among those who truly desired to live godly lives, uh, it was obvious that the Pharisees did not set, set an example in how to do that. Uh, that's why uh, so many people turned away from them and towards teachers like John the Baptist, who was the last pre-Christian prophet of Israel. For example, we see in uh, Luke 7, 29, and 30, it says, when all the people heard this, uh, this referring to the teachings of Jesus, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. It's a pretty frightening um, passage. But even though the Pharisees were ineffective in terms of promoting how to live according to a standard of true godliness, uh, they were very effective in teaching people how to manage their reputations in order to appear devout while being privately selfish. And so last week we saw that Jesus was urging his own disciples to unlearn the behaviors of the Pharisees. And so essentially Jesus was telling his disciples not to behave in a certain way in order to achieve social supremacy because that's what the Pharisees were after, a certain status, a certain uh, reputation, a certain standing in society. Uh, but this week we're going to see him commanding the disciples not to behave in a certain manner in order to avoid um, rejection, social rejection. And the desire to escape rejection or sort of an outcast standing in society or in a community uh, can be just as powerful a motivating factor in people's behavior as the de desire to, to achieve social favoritism is. Uh, depending on your social context in, in life, you might have little or no chance of achieving a social elite status. But anyone is capable of becoming an outcast, anyone. In fact, I would say that Every person in every society in every era of human history is capable of becoming an outcast uh, if they overstep certain social norms. In fact, throughout history, even dictators who were beloved by those who they ruled over were violently attacked in an insurrection and killed if they um, started to exercise their governance in a way that ultimately became intolerable. Now, in the ancient uh, Palestinian context uh, of Jesus and his worshipers, uh, there were several, several prominent ways that someone could become a social outcast, a social reject, if you will. Um, some of those ways were beyond the control of the people who became isolated. For example, one could be inflicted with a skin disease such as leprosy, in which case uh, they would be avoided in order to rationally stop the spread of the disease. But people could also be rejected 
because of things like political association. Um, tax collectors fell into this category, for example. Uh, Jews who were employed as tax collectors on behalf of the Roman government uh, were despised as traitors by their ethnic kinsmen, the Jews. This is why in Luke uh, 5.30, quote, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? But shortly after Jesus rose from the dead and exited the earth, an increasingly easy way to become a social outcast was to identify as a disciple of Jesus. This is why Jesus had to encourage his worshipers saying, quote, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man in Luke 6.22. Later in Luke uh, 21.17, Jesus warns, quote, you will be hated by all for my namesake. So in the verses uh, we're examining this evening, Jesus is forecasting for his disciples what they will experience in the not-too-distant future when he is no longer physically present with them and they begin to face hostility simply for being his students, his disciples. And he wants to make sure that the, their fear of displeasing people does not exceed their fear of the consequences of disobeying God and his great commission for them. Uh, Jesus says in verses 4 and 5 of today's passage, uh, Luke, uh, Luke 12, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, it must have seemed, I, I would think, strange to Jesus' original audience that he would uh, prophesy that they would become unpopular because of their loyalty to him. Um, at this time that Jesus is speaking these words, uh, he himself was still extremely popular. Um, you might recall back in verse 1, here in Luke 12, uh, it says that Jesus began to give this lecture when, quote, so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another in order to hear the words of Jesus. Um, because they valued every word that came from his mouth. In fact, at this time, it was actually more fearful to oppose Jesus than to support him. Uh, in a few months, we're going to get to Luke 20. And in that uh, chapter, it shows that after Jesus told a parable in which he exposed the hypocrisy of the re religious leaders once again, they, quote, sought to lay hands on him at that very hour for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people because Jesus was still so popular. That's in Luke um, 2019. And the hatred of Jesus by these leaders continued to escalate even while Jesus still enjoyed widespread public approval. In Luke 22:2, it says, quote, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death for they feared the people. They feared the amount of support that Jesus uh, was rapidly gaining uh, that was a threat to their influence, their supremacy. 
but this was about to change. Jesus was popular during most of his ministry because he was thought to be a prophet and a judge in the tradition of Moses. Once it became clear that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God and that he was freely offering salvation uh, to all people, not just the previously uh, favored people of Israel, he quickly became a divisive and polarizing figure. In the book of Acts, uh, which is essentially volume two of Luke's um, narrative about the infancy and uh, the birth of the church, um, he shows how controversial Jesus had become by the middle of the first century. In Acts 28:22, when Paul, uh, the apostle, met with some Jewish leaders in Rome, they said to him regarding Christianity, quote, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And all of this summarizes why Jesus is saying what he is saying in this section. Um, so let's just look more closely at these statements and these admonishments of Jesus. Again, in verses 4 and 5, uh, we read, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, Luke records in the book of Acts that the disciples obeyed this command of Jesus. Uh, there we see that the religious leaders of Israel were shocked to learn that Jesus' death uh, did not accomplish their goal of, of exterminating the movement that Jesus had pioneered. Jesus' followers only became more steadfast in their loyalty when they saw him after he had risen from the dead. And their invitation to others to worship Jesus represented a challenge uh, to the status of the religious leaders of Israel. And so the religious leaders took the apostles and, quote, beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. That's in Acts uh, 5.40. But their tactics backfired. Um, verses 41 and 42 of Acts 5 say, quote, They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Well, thankfully, um, they had that, that courage. They had that boldness because if they had not had that courage, courageous heart and attitude, none of us would be here today. And the courage came at a high cost to them, as I have been saying. Uh, they risked their lives, and in many cases they gave their lives, they died, to preach the message of the gospel and the saving grace of Jesus to as many people as would listen. And that message was preserved and passed down long enough, uh, for a long enough period of time to reach all of our ears. And just as we have benefited from the bold preaching of Jesus's earliest worshipers, there are people who could benefit from our fearless proclamation of the gospel. And by comparison to, Je uh, to Jesus's original followers, the earliest Christians, uh, we face mild negative consequences for our efforts to tell people about Jesus. And um, it's certainly not, of course, as easy as it once was. Um, as recently as 25 or 30 years ago, Christianity occupied a 
privileged place in our society. In fact, I would say that politicians, whether Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, or whatever, their designation, politicians uh, could not even expect to be elected in most parts of this country if Christianity wasn't declared to be the foundational basis of their worldview. But even in the midst of intense hostility to the Christian faith, faith that we face today, the hardships that we have to endure for our public loyalty to Jesus do not compare to the burdens and the dangers that the earliest Christians had to face. This doesn't diminish uh, that you might be facing very real problems, not only for your uh, proclaiming the reality of who Jesus is, but also for obeying even his ethical teachings. I would say that I have lost friends for saying that any lifestyle that is contrary to the teaching of Jesus um, is a self-destructive lifestyle. I have lost friends for that. And some of you have either been disowned or perhaps suffered strained relationships with family members or friends because of your loyalty and your worship to Jesus. Um, but our out of obedience to God and even love for those who oppose us, uh, we must continue to proclaim the truth of the gospel and not shrink back as though we are ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of Christ and ashamed of his words. Um, but if you think it's difficult to cope with the consequences you will likely face for worshiping Jesus, remember that Jesus was calling his very first followers to obey even when that came uh, at the, at the cost of conflict with those who, quote, kill the body. But Jesus was not uncaring about the suffering that they would have to endure for the gospel, and I want you to know that he's not uncaring about the suffering that you or I will have to endure for the gospel. But um, with regards to his, his care for his disciples, who he's originally speaking these words to, verses 6 and 7 say, Are not five sparrows sold? for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hair of your head, uh, the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, Jesus is saying that if God is so intentional in his actions towards birds that are virtually worthless, how much more will he intervene to help his own children during difficult times of trial? Um, when you suffer for God's sake, it doesn't mean that God cares about you. What it actually does mean is that he cares for all of his elect. And he wants to reach them through you just as he was willing to send his only begotten son to suffer and be tortured so that you and I can enjoy salvation and relationship with God the Father. Uh, but we naturally do, do um, all that we can to avoid suffering even for a cause as noble as the gospel. We even find philosophical reasons to justify um, our um, avoidance of suffering for proclaiming the gospel and the ways and the standards of Jesus. Uh, we say things like, well, isn't it enough that I live a godly life, live an exemplary life that stands apart from the rest of the world, and then if someone asks me why do I live the way I live, then I could share Jesus with them. And of course, our lifestyles will um, provoke curiosity among people when they see 
that we have a different standard than the rest of the world, and we will get those who do ask us about that. But God hasn't called us to passively sit around and hope that people ask us about Jesus. Um, God took initiative towards us in our salvation, and he did that uh, through other people, whether they were relatives, co-workers, uh, or friends. And he wants to reach other people through taking initiative in our actions. And God cares about you, and he will, he will be there to sustain you when you were abused or insulted for his sake, just as he sustained Jesus when he faced more unjust treatment than any other human being who ever lived or will ever live will ever face. Um, an example of that is in Luke 22, and which we'll get to in a few, few more months. But in this uh, passage, Jesus is praying and asking if it's possible to avoid the execution that he was about to endure, which, which was God's means of vicariously punishing the sins, of course, of repentant sinners. God did not allow Jesus to avoid this torture, but instead we see in Luke twenty-two forty-three, quote, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, unquote, to do the will of God. And uh, I really think that this uh, situation of Jesus being strengthened by angels might, in fact, make sense of what we read next here in Luke 12. Uh, look down at verses 8 and 9. And they say, I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Um, it's tough for sure to understand what these uh, verses mean, but I personally believe that Jesus is telling his disciples that if they are faithfully uh, if they are faithful to proclaim his name, even in the face of hostility and uh, attack, he will be faithful to send them supernatural, even angelic help for doing so when they face um, blowback. And we see that all throughout Luke's book of Acts, um, angels give comfort and they give guidance. They even break the disciples out of prison when they are put there for sharing the gospel. And they also even put the enemies of God to death at times. But Jesus is warning the disciples, I believe, that if they deny uh, him because of fear of people, they will be denied this angelic or even supernatural help. And I just want you to know, by the way, that there's more than one way to deny Jesus. Uh, it's not just about disowning Jesus. Uh, it's possible to be a, a vocal Christian and still deny Jesus. And uh, one popular way to do that is by, um, you could identify with Jesus, but you can actually deny certain tenets of Christianity. You see this, uh, or you can be sure that this is coming when you hear people say, I'm a Christian, but dot, 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 fill in the blank, whatever doctrine that Christians are supposed to believe that the person speaking is about to repudiate. Um, so, for example, um, in the 90s, there was a politician who was a well-known evangelical politician, and uh, he was interviewed by a local newspaper. 
And when the topic of his worldview came up, naturally the topic turned to his evangelical faith. And the reporter who was interviewing this politician wrote, quote, one doctrine of which he is certain of is that heaven is open only to those who accept Jesus Christ, which is a pretty orthodox position to have. But in the early 2000s, this politician rose to national and even international prominence. And after that point, he was interviewed by ABC News, and he was asked by a reporter, um, Charles Gibson, quote, do Christians and non-Christians and Muslims go to heaven in your mind? The politician answered by saying, quote, yes, they do. We have different routes of getting there, unquote. And, this, and that statement is a direct contradiction of the words of Peter the, the Apostle in Acts 4.12. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter said regarding Jesus, quote, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which uh, we must be saved. Uh, now, I don't personally believe that this politician changed his mind about the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus in the intervening years between that first uh, newspaper interview and that second ABC News interview. I believe that because he had become such a prominent figure and even an international figure, he just thought it was bad for international diplomacy if he were to say, all non-Christians are damned. Uh, because he figured he didn't want to alienate 40% of the population, that the world's population, that is not Christian, those who adhere to other religions such as Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam. But I just wonder if it ever occurred to this politician that perhaps God had given him the platform that he had in order to reach a global audience with the gospel. I believe that that was perhaps a missed opportunity. Um, having said that, I do want to point out what I do not believe that uh, verses 8 and 9 of Luke 12 say, or are saying. When we read passages like this, I think many of our minds drift towards some sort of uh, final judgment or final uh, denial or acknowledgement of Jesus um, at the resurrection. As if Jesus is saying, if you deny me before men, you are going to be denied at the final judgment. And if you um, acknowledge me before men, you will be acknowledged at the final judgment. Uh, but I don't believe that Jesus is uh, making such a statement about final judgment. And I think that's clear from Jesus' next statement in verse 10. And that says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Um, obviously, Jesus is willing to forgive people who deny him or speak against him. Uh, we see in Luke 22 that Peter denies Jesus three times and he was restored to fellowship by the Lord. Paul, the apostle, violently persecuted Christians and yet in Acts chapter 9 we see God graciously enlighten Paul to the reality of who Jesus is. So those who oppose Jesus can be saved, and Christians who are guilty of disloyalty to Jesus are still Christians. Um, when Jesus spoke the words of uh, Luke 12, 8 and 9, he knew that some of his follower, followers would fall prey to fear and deny him at some point, such as Peter. 
He knew that people such as Paul would launch anti-Christian attacks from a place of ignorance. And, uh, of course, it would be natural for us to think that anyone who treated the Son of God in such a way would deservedly be condemned forever. But in Romans uh, 5, and, uh, verse 10, it says, quote, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. So all of us were enemies of God prior to coming to Christ. So, of course, we can be forgiven if we speak against him. As long as we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit with repentance, we are forgiven. Uh, but even though Jesus is telling his disciples that they can be forgiven, he wants to encourage them that they can access supernatural uh, boldness uh, to withstand that pressure and not deny him under pressure. And he wants us to know that we can access that same supernatural power. But in verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And again, this uh, is forecasting what we will see very clearly in the book of Acts. The disciples got the chance to testify in front of religious rulers, law enforcement officials, and kings. They never lacked for words to say because the Holy Spirit was with them. And God will do the same for us when we have the opportunity to speak uh, to non-believers about Jesus. And uh, there have been many, many times when um, I have attempted to share the gospel with people and um, on many occasions, non-Christians have asked me questions that I simply could not answer. I did not have a response for them. And in those occasions, I have silently prayed and asked God for a loving way to respond to that non-Christian. And uh, I'm not the most mystical, you know, Christian in this room probably, but I have to tell you that I cannot remember one time when God did not give me an answer or a way to respond in a loving way, when I lacked an answer and I prayed for a response to that question from a non-Christian when I was sharing the gospel. And I would just love to believe it's because I'm just so knowledgeable or so intelligent that I came up with an answer, but I just know that that is not true. The answer was from the Lord. And I know that he'll do the same for all of us because he is no respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism towards his children. Uh, and I would just say, thankfully, most of us have the, the luxury of worrying uh, how to respond to the questions of non-Christians when they challenge us on our faith, rather than having to fear that we will be killed or jailed for standing up for the gospel, as the original Christians had to fear. Um, and just to take even more pressure off you, one thing I want to always remind Christians of when they are nervous or anxious about sharing the gospel is that nobody is going to be more unsaved if you cannot answer a question that they have. And so you can take that burden off of your shoulders. Uh, but also, another thing that you should remember to take that burden off your shoulders is that God wants people to be saved more than I do or you do. 
And so, of course, if you are faithful in sharing the gospel, how much more faithful will God be to give you ways to speak to those who are um, not following him? Um, so when you have those opportunities, I'm just saying don't be surprised when uh, you experience divine intervention to answer those who challenge your faith. Well, I believe that verses um, 4 through 12 of Luke 12 are calling us to a lifestyle of fearless Christianity, except for the fear that we should have of God and disobeying God. When you publicly live for God, you don't have to fear being harmed by those who are hostile towards you because God values you and he will not allow anything to happen to you apart from his will. You don't have to fear failure because God forgives our acts of disloyalty towards him and our loyalty towards him is only by his grace after all. And you don't have to fear insufficiency because God will guide you how to respond to those who challenge your faith. Let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for your words. I thank you that uh, you encourage us, that you care for us, just as you cared for your original followers and original worshipers. And you understand that there will be suffering involved in following you. There will be suffering involved of proclaiming your name. And you promise to be with us through your Holy Spirit as we fight the good fight of faith and really seek to hold out your saving truth to a lost and dying world. And I pray that if we have been disloyal to you in the past, you would convict us, um, that you know what the world needs better than the world knows or better than what we know. We should not uh, be ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of your truth, even though it is unpopular, it is politically incorrect. In some minds, it's antiquated. Uh, but we know that your truth has saved us and cleansed us, and that is going to be true for those who we speak to as well, if you so choose to turn their hearts towards you. And Lord, also just give us encouragement that if we've been disloyal, you, you, have, you will forgive us and just help us to move forward with greater confidence and greater determination to be bold for you. And Lord, um, I pray that we would seek your wisdom and seek your intervention from the Holy Spirit to know what to say and how to say it. Sometimes you have promises that are there for the taking that we don't experience as a reality in our lives simply because we did not ask. And so I just pray that if we're struggling with how to respond to our non-Christian loved ones, our non-Christian co-workers, that um, you would just um, encourage us to intercede for them and to seek your wisdom, which you give to all without finding fault, and you do it graciously. Yes, Lord, I just pray for a greater zeal, a greater, um, just a greater conviction that even when we have friends and neighbors that on the surface seem okay, they seem like they're doing fine without you. No one is doing fine without you, Lord. I pray that even if we fear that we fear sharing the gospel with those who wouldn't recognize their own need. 
we would just be faithful to, new, to you, knowing that you will enlighten them as you see fit. You will give them the revelation as you see fit. And it's not our duty to, to determine who's ready to hear and who's not, but simply to share the word and let you um, do your work. Yes, Lord. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.